Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Asiri, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-military service career and life. Today's episode number 392, 20 years of transformational company turnaround work with Jason Santamaria. Again, this is maybe borderline reckless advice, but I literally just sought out the scariest problems that no one else wanted to touch, whether that was a business that couldn't grow its top line, uh, a business that was in a, a turnaround situation, uh, had an overly complex product portfolio and was losing money. Um, the healthcare business I took over as, as president was losing money, declining revenues, and in a really tough situation. And each time, you know, maybe I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but by tackling those challenges, um, it, it almost strengthened my skill set each time. That which does not kill us makes us stronger, right? As the old saying goes. I loved my interview with Jason Santamaria. Special thanks to Vincent Martino for making this connection. They were business school roommates, co-authored a book. And um, two things I, I think you should pay attention to for this interview. First of all is just alignment. Uh, there's very few people I can think of in the last 390 interviews that are as aligned as Jason is with his career. You know, in retrospect, just the way that he speaks, the way that he thinks, the way that he processes information, he found the right career for him. And it's so refreshing to see that. Um, but second, and maybe even more important, is that as we uh, unwrap his story, I think you'll realize that that was not clear to him when he was in the Marine Corps or when he left the Marine Corps. It wasn't like he had his sights set on a career in transformational company work. And I think that that should hopefully be refreshing for all of you listening to this to see how his story unfolds, to see that he found a career path that really resonates with him, but it wasn't it wasn't a master plan. It was taking the next best step every step of the way and thinking about what he wanted. Uh, as always at beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find show notes with links to everything we discussed in this interview, as well as 390 other interviews just like this one, all offered completely free. And with that, let's dive into conver my conversation with Jason Santamaria. Joining me today in West Hartford, Connecticut, my guest is Jason Santamaria. Jason, welcome to Be on the Uniform. It's great to be here, Justin. Thanks for having me. So I want to give a little bit of a background on Jason and special thanks to Vincent Martino for making the introduction. Uh, Jason is a managing director in the portfolio operations group of a leading alternative investment firm. Uh, Focused on lean transformation, Jason is involved in identifying and delivering growth and productivity initiatives in the companies in which his firm invests. Previously, Jason has held a number of senior leadership roles in large public and private companies, including Serta Simmons Bedding, Newell Brands, Stanley Black & Decker, Avery Dennison, Morgan Stanley, and McKinsey & Company. Early in his career, Jason served as an artillery officer in the United States Marine Corps and as a Fulbright Scholar in South America. He holds an MBA from the Wharton School and a BA from the University of Texas at Austin. And so, um, Jason, first of all, for our, our guests, I'll just say that the, the, the laundry list of names that we named off there, it's so impressive to see that. But I wanted to make room for you to share anything um, that's not in the bio that you want to make sure listeners know. Yeah, well, thank you for the kind intro, Justin. I think it's really a way of saying it's been a long time since I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, but have, have tried to make the most of it over the years. In terms of, you know, beyond the, the bio, uh, you know, married with two kids, two dogs. When I'm not spending time with them, I'm snowboarding, mountain biking, tracking my car, trying to keep my weight under control and grilling. <laughs> uh, so I envy you being being out in the Western U.S., which is one of my favorite places in the world. Mm -hmm. I also spent a good deal of time helping veterans transition to the business world, just as you're doing, whether that's, you know, getting into business school, getting a job out of business school. I spent a lot of time now in my current role, placing people in our companies or just helping veterans who find our find us through the network, uh, communicate their story and, and you know, really focus their search on, on what they want to do. Um, and last and certainly not least, I, I support the Injured Marine Semper Fi Fund, the Bob Woodruff Foundation, and another group called ReferVets.org. So it's a real privilege to be here with you today. 
That's that's great. And I, I love the contrast between trying to keep your weight under control and grilling. I feel like those are probably <laughs> that's a tightrope walk between the two. They're they're at odds to each other. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask about that just kind of came up when you said that I, I understand you do a lot of mentoring work for veterans. And I'm, I'm just curious if anything stands out to you as kind of like either a common blind spot, a common question you get, maybe something that veterans don't understand or maybe mistakes that they make, almost like a catch-all of like, man, I end up saying this to so many veterans and you've got this microphone right now for a large group of veterans. What would you want them to know? Yeah, so I will, I'll start on a personal level, but then I want to zoom out to a more of a macro level. Uh, it's a very good question you ask. So one of, the, one of the things I repeatedly tell veterans as I'm trying to help them is be as focused, specific, and prescriptive in what you want to do and where you want help from other vets uh, or whomever you're asking when you make the request, right? So we're wired to be altruistic, unselfish, team player, you know, from, from being in the military, but it actually makes it easier for people to help transitioning vets. If they've got a specific mandate, I want to live in these geographic areas. I'm interested in this type of a role or in this industry sector. Uh, you're actually making it easier for the people who are help, who, who want to help you, I, which, I, which again runs counter to the way we've kind of, you know, been raised in the military. I, 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 I'm so glad to hear you say that. Cause I can remember when I left the military uh, and I thought that it was an asset that I'm like, yeah, I've lived everywhere. I'll move anywhere. I'll do anything. And, and now, you know, 10 plus years out, I realize it's so hard for me to help someone when they're open to anything. And it's, it's a counterintuitive to me where it's like, if you tell me, you know, I want to live in San Francisco, I want to be in tech. I want to be in a company that's 50 to hundred employees. I want to be in the marketing space. Like my wheels start spinning and I can be helpful, but if someone just comes more open-ended, there's almost like, I can't really do much with that. Correct. Yeah. And then obviously there's also the, the, the time honored challenge of articulating, uh, you know, what we do in the military and why that's a value in the civilian context. Again, that's, that's something we've all struggled with over the years. We will continue to struggle with. Um, another thing that may seem somewhat counterintuitive is that uh, the things that we take for granted in the military, such as being comfortable in an un, uh, uncertain situation, being highly adaptive, able to make decisions and, and, and execute a plan, uh, able to you know, put a lot of discipline and structure in, in managing a large scale effort. Those are all, I would argue, very scarce commodities in the business world or scarcer than you might think, but we take for granted as, as former military officers, NCOs and staff NCOs. So um, that's something again, that I think you need to find a good coach, uh, preferably someone who may not even have military experience after you've done a few iterations with someone who does so that you're explaining your benefits and what you have to offer in, in, in language and context that can be appreciated by someone who hasn't served. And, and then um, I was going to make one other point was that I also spend a lot of time challenging vets to not be descriptive of what they have done, but to rather try to position what they've done as of value to a potential employer. So you're almost trying to sell them on why you would be a good person to work for their organization versus describing what you have done. I, I think there's so many great things. I just want to unpack two of those. I, I really like this sense of um, getting someone in the military to help decode your experience and then finding someone outside of the military to do the same. And one thing that I realized as you were saying that is, is that um, while there is a tremendous amount of diversity in the military, if, if you zoom out, I forget the stat, but it's like less than 1% of the population serves in the military. If you zoom out, like all of us had very relatively similar experiences. And so we may not see those strengths that you articulated, you numbered off, like those strengths that we all share because you're almost around the sameness, you take it for granted. Like, oh, everyone works well under pressure. Everyone can work well with ambiguity. So I like that you named those specific traits because most listeners 
you know, veteran or active duty may not even realize that that's an incredible strength because there's, they're just surrounded by people who have that similar attribute. And then I, um, I forget what the second one I was going to say was, but, um, yeah, I think that was a, a great, a great encapsulation. So let's, let's rewind the clock a little bit. And I know it was a while ago, but when you left the Marine Corps, what was that transition like? And how did you end up finding your first job? I'm always curious about what that first job search looks like. Yeah. So you're, you're being very charitable. It's, it's been quite a while since I got out of the Marine Corps, 20 plus years. Um, and so I'll, I'll just talk a little bit about the transition and then how I landed it at the consulting firm McKinsey and company uh, as a result of it. So I actually applied to a number of business schools and didn't get into my top choices of school. So um, at the same time, I applied for a number of jobs and was batting a thousand. So I, I concluded that the market was telling me to, to take a job out of the Marine Corps versus go to school. I eventually did go to school, but it was good that I worked for a, a brief while before uh, uh, going to business school. And with McKinsey and Company, uh, leading consulting firm, I actually began a dialogue with them while I was still in college. And I was able to keep the relationship warm over a five-year period. So the foundation was laid for me to work there when I got out. And, um, you know, that, that's another thing I would encourage people to just keep in mind, in mind is manage relationships, keep them warm, keep in touch with people, because uh, you never know when it's actually going to bear fruit, right? Don't just look at things on a short-term transactional basis. I think that, you know, two things I want to point out for listeners, like I, I it is actually, I think it's a rarity and I, I really appreciate the long lens that you had, that you cultivated this relationship early on. You were able to get to know people over a long period of time. I'm imagining in college when you first um, started to look at consulting, it might've even given you a waypoint to shoot for of like, oh, this is what I would need to do to work at a company like this. And so I, I really like that long lens. And I think it's great too, because um, you're an example. So I went straight from submarines to business school and I actually, you know, maybe the grass is always greener, but I actually long for the experience you had where you had a few years working prior to business school. And the story that I've told myself is that would have given me a much better lens to go far deeper, faster in a business school environment versus I was just learning so many of the fundamentals that I could have learned in undergrad, honestly, that um, I wasn't able to take full advantage, at least of the academic aspects of, of, of um, business. So I think that's a great example. And it, um, yeah, so I, I I do appreciate that. What was the um, at, what was the point at which you know you're working at McKinsey, you're doing consulting? How did you know? Did you go from there to to grad school, or what was your transition Correct. from McKinsey? How did you know it was time to like okay, I need to go get higher education at this point? Well, you know, at McKinsey, I was I was uh, I jokingly referred to myself as an overaged analyst, right? So I was, you know, coming out of a you know five six five years out of college, and my peer group were were college graduates. So I, I came in, you know, at a more junior role. I'd been the commanding officer of, an, of a Marine Corps firing you know, firing battery, and then now I'm in a, a peer group of people five years younger than me. So that was a, a, a conscious trade off I made because of the learning opportunity. Um, and, you know, while I was there, I, I, I was almost functioning as an associate, but without the MBA, right? And then, you know, the 22-year-old the whiz kids out of, you know, leading engineering and finance schools, you know, I was doing my darndest to keep up with them on, on Excel modeling and, and keyboarding skills. Uh, but, but all joking aside, you know, I kind of realized the missing piece uh, for me to, you know, continue on would have been the MBA, to, to the, the additional credentialing. Uh, the deep ground, uh, deep grounding in, in quantitative and, and analytical skills that that Wharton, where I went, provided me, were missing missing elements that really rounded me out. What advice do you have? I, I think that you're a great example of 
someone who was willing, I, I don't think, you know, by any stretch going to work at McKinsey is a step back, but I'm imagining as you're saying, in terms of seniority, your peer group's age, all of these things, it's got to be somewhat humbling to go from leading officer in the Marine Corps and then surrounded by this. What advice do you have for listeners who may be taking a step back in terms of seniority, in terms of leadership? that may be temporary in the grand scheme of their, their, um, their career, but it feels like a big step back and it, it may be a blow, a blow to the pride. Yeah. Well, I guess my advice is get over it, right? It's, it's, um, you know, check your ego at the door. As I mentioned before, it was a conscious decision I made uh, because we, we need to recognize as we come out of the military, we don't have a, um, you know, we're coming into an entirely new environment, the business environment. And so we need, you need to kind of reset expectations that you've got to start to learn. It's almost a new MOS, if you will, or, you know, a new, a new set of tactics in a new environment. And so if you, if you take a step back, um, it's not the end of the world because, you know, the, the reward is the, the uh, learning opportunity that you'll be afforded. And then what I also tell people is that you will very quickly return um, to the level of seniority that's commensurate, you know, that, that, would, that would include the value of your military service in, uh, incorporated therein. So yes, you may take a step back in the short term. Yes, you may have to take a job that's less prestigious or less authority than you might've had in the military, but um, eventually you will, you will catch back up to your peer group. And then with that greater familiarity, in the business environment, your military attributes and skills will really start to shine and you will, you will start to you know, meet or even exceed your peer group in terms of responsibility afforded, et cetera. One last thing I like to joke about is, is that um, even to this day, 20 some odd years out of the Marine Corps, I long for the authority that I had as a commanding officer uh, you know, of a firing battery. And, and I even joke that, you know, when I was a business unit president about five, five, six years ago, and even then, I don't know if I had the same amount of authority as I did, you know, as, as a commanding officer in the Marine Corps. So it's, it's, that's one of the great things about the military is you're afforded responsibility at a relatively young age. And, and um, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that, but it's also exhilarating. That's, that's great. I don't often hear that sort of reflection where I feel like I'm always forward looking of like people who have transitioned and what they're doing. And I love that aspect of um, appreciate. And, you know, I can almost do that with submarines of like, wow, that was, that was actually a tremendous amount of responsibility and authority. And um, there are tastes of that, that I have not had since then in the last, you know, 10, 12 years. So that's a, a, a wonderful perspective. Um, you've done so much in your career. I'm hoping we can, we'll have time to kind of rewind the clock and revisit some of the steps, but I want to give listeners a little bit of context. So let's start with where you're at today. And, and we'll, we'll say, you know, a senior transformation executive. If you bumped into someone who's currently in the Marine Corps on the streets and they, they just said, Hey, Jason, what is it you do for a living? How do you answer that? I'll start with a kind of a high level summary. And then if you want to kind of drill into the how, we certainly can. But the way I describe it, senior transformation executive is that I help companies drive dramatic improvements in organic growth, profitability, customer experience, uh, whatever you know the, the needs of the business may be by doing two things, convincing people to do things that are well outside their comfort zone and in a time period with which they're not necessarily comfortable. And, and um, let's, let's drill into that. What is the, um, what does that look like on a week to week basis? Are you working with usually like one single company for an, for a period of months and, and how are you able to, cause what I'm, what I'm appreciating about this at this high level po point of view is like, well, I, I'm reading into this. You need to have the skill set amidst a very complex organization to say, these are the things that are holding this organization back. So there's a certain amount of analysis needed there. 
But then you talked about, I love the way you put it. It was something to the extent of like um, convincing people to do something out of their comfort zone in a time period that they don't think is possible. So that requires a tremendous amount, I'm guessing, of, of people skills to be able to shift mindsets, to be able to navigate an organization. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about what this looks like, because that's those seem like very different skill sets, the analysis and the people leadership side. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the role I'm in now, I'm overseeing multiple transformation efforts in multiple companies. I've got a small team that works for me. I'm fortunate to have a, um, a very, very talented uh, former Navy SEAL and a, and a very, very talented former, former Army officer uh, as members of my team. And so, again, this is where those kind of innate you know, attributes and skills that, that we learn in the military come in very handy. And so we're doing this at scale across multiple companies at any given time. So every week is different. And these are multi-month engagements. And so we're constantly you know, juggling. One of the ways we get things done is by placing leaders into these businesses through whom we can get things done, with whom and through whom we can get things done. And that's an, an incredible point for us. It's also an uh, incredible leverage point for the CEOs of these companies. And, and so it, it's, it's a constant balancing act, or should I say a constant juggling act. And it does place a premium on that, on those interpersonal skills that help you influence without authority. Um, and so I've kind of learned it over the years because I worked inside companies for the past call, call it 15, 20 years, um, either as the, as the president of a business leading a turnaround and growth situation or being the right hand to a president or a CEO and in a critical transformation leadership role. And, and, and so I'll talk about that experience first and then how that enables us to do what we do now. So again, with, with these transformation type situations, we're trying to rapidly drive, you know, whether it's growth or pro, uh, profitability or customer experience. Um, to your point, you've got to quickly grasp the essence of the situation, analyze the business. Uh, in, some in some cases, we've had to define and author a, a strategic plan for the business because there wasn't one. And then from that, you can derive what are the key initiatives that need to uh, improve the profitability, the growth of the customer experience. And then from there, then you have to, and then you call upon your, your classic, you know, military program management type skills to lay out detailed implementation plans, identify the risks, rally the people, get, get their buy-in. And, and then put structure in place to ensure that there's actual follow through on the initiatives. That's kind of how it works, if that makes sense. And now having done that for 15 years, I'm in a position where you know, I'm, I'm coaching others and teaching others more than I'm actually leading the efforts myself. Uh, still in a player coach role, of course, and still happy to roll up my sleeves and, and get in the game. But now it's it's all around getting getting thing getting multiple initiatives done uh, by transferring capability and coaching other people. Is this um, the companies that you that you work with in this coach? Do they share an industry? Just as I'm kind of like re-lensing your background, I'm like, okay, Avery Dennison, Stanley Black and Decker, Newell Brands. I start to associate this with physical products. I'm wondering if the pattern recognition that you built up in working in these like physical products, does that extend to other types of companies or do you can kind of continue to focus on industries that are more physical products? Well, it, it's, it's the former. Um, so yes, I had a fair amount of experience in consumer durables and healthcare prior to my current role. Um, but, but the way I almost decompose what we do is, is down to three very simple things. We analyze and solve for root cause that more often than not uncovers either misdiagnosed or overlooked opportunities for improvement. We implement the principles of Lean Six Sigma to relentlessly eliminate waste and inefficiency in organizations. And then we have a proven, uh, very disciplined um, project management methodology that allows us to execute with excellence. So you have to adapt your approach. You have to be very agile um, as you move into different industry sectors. But today, I actually, ironically, I spend almost no time in manufacturing companies and spend the vast majority of it in business services, fintech, tech, software as a service, for example, um, 
uh, uh, theme parks. I'm just looking at my list right now. Um, healthcare services, life sciences. And so the, the, the principles of the problem solving and the pattern recognition to your point earlier do apply. You just have to be able to, again, quickly grasp the essence of the situation and figure out which methods and tools uh, are most relevant to the, the companies with which you're engaging. One, one thing I, I'm going to maybe meander getting there, but I'm trying, I want to try to ask a question around, um, especially the point of view of someone earlier in their career out of the military or transitioning, where I feel like they have a lot of pressure to determine this is where I'm going. This is what my career is going to look like in 10 years. And, I, and I'm always hesitant to ask this sort of question because I know there can be this revisionist history as you look back on your own story. But what I'm trying to tease out is, you know, you're in this, this transformation role right now. And as I look at your, your bio, I'm like, okay, you started at McKinsey and Consulting, which might be considered a generalist. You went to business school, you honed your skills, and then you started to work at different manufacturing type companies or healthcare companies. Was there a point at which you said like, oh, was there like a point at which you were in a company that had to go through transformation, you got this taste and you're like, oh, I actually really like transformation work. So I'm going to try to find roles that continue this. Or was it more that you just were working at different companies, you changed them, you know, changed the, the role and, and you stumbled more into this work. And, and I, I guess I know that's long-winded. The succinct way of asking it was how much of this was guided by saying, I want to get into transformation work early on in your career versus one thing led to another. And then you realized you had this skill set. Well, I hate to answer it this way, but the answer is actually both. Both. Huh? So the, the way this, this all came about was, um, and, and I jokingly say that I, I advise people not to take the path that I took because I took on way too much career risk along the way. And, you know, change jobs a lot, which, you know, you could argue, well, if you'd stayed at the same company, where would you be now? But that's all water under the bridge. Um, so I guess the way to describe it was as I was writing my business school essays, uh, you know, I, I was trying to articulate almost what it's like when you're a lieutenant, you know, young lieutenant or a staff NCO or an NCO stepping into a new unit, understanding the unit and then trying to, you know, rally the members of the unit to highest, the highest levels of performance possible, right? So that's almost the theme. I, I, I've, that was one of the things I love the most about the military. And that's what, at the time I articulated my business school essays and perhaps not as crisply as possible. And then back in the, call it the late 90s, well, early 2000s, uh, business transformation was not necessarily uh, formally art, uh, articulated as, as a discipline in business. And, and where a lot of this started was, you know, when Vincent Martino and I wrote our book, we began to get a lot of demand for, okay, how do you implement Marine Corps strategy and leadership principles in actual businesses? And that's what started, that's what really started it all. And then the piece that was missing for me was Lean Six Sigma. So I worked for a Lean Six Sigma consulting firm. And once I got those methods and tools, that was the missing piece between Marine Corps leadership and strategy, financial acumen from business school, and, um, and now a way to operationalize high-level strategic recommendations and turn them into quantifiable results. Once those pieces came together, that was, that was the catalyst for what, you know, what I then follow, uh, have done in the, in the subsequent 15 years. Um, I didn't necessarily have a, 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 a clarity on my career that I wanted to be a managing, direct, managing director in, in private equity one day. I almost took an adaptive approach, if you will, that said, I love doing this business transformation stuff. We got better as we started doing it, first as consultants, and then as I started to go into Avery Dennison, uh, Stanley Black & Decker, Newell Brand, Serta Simmons, et cetera. And um, again, this is maybe borderline reckless advice, but I literally just sought out the scariest problems that no one else wanted to touch, whether that was a business that couldn't grow its top line, uh, a business that was in a, a turnaround situation, uh, had an overly complex product portfolio and was losing money. Um, the healthcare business I took over as, as president was losing money, declining revenues, and in a really tough situation. And each time, you know, maybe I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but by tackling those challenges, um, 
it, it almost strengthened my skill set each time. That which does not kill us makes us stronger, right? As the old saying goes. And, uh, and in each case, we got more and more repetitions. We started to see the patterns and started to recognize the patterns, as you pointed out earlier. And, and now I'm at the point where I've, I've seen enough tough situations and applied different problem solving methods and, and improvement methods that we can you know, more quickly diagnose a situation and more accurately prescribe uh, a, a path forward that will lead to the desired outcome. Call, call me out if I'm connecting dots that don't exist, but you know, I, I clearly hear the passion in what you're saying. And I, and I, I get, I love this sense of you seeking out these scary experiences, but, but when you were starting and you were talking about your business school essays, I, I sensed kind of a thread of that similar thing of, of taking over a new unit, figuring out what's going on. You have this group of people now you need to figure it out. In retrospect, is there like a through line there? Like, are you able to pinpoint things that you liked in the Marine Corps and say like, oh, I can see the aspects of turnaround work that I was doing and I didn't even know I was doing at the time? That's exactly it. Yeah, it was, look, those are the things that, you know, get the adrenaline pumping, you know, when you're on active duty in the military. And again, these are back to these skills that we don't necessarily know how to crisply articulate or we don't even realize are scarce commodities. But I said, these are, my, these are my aptitudes, these are my interests, and um, here's an opportunity where I can apply some of those skills. So I was almost doing it intuitively. Um, and again, I'll go back to the, to the book that, that Vincent Martino and I wrote. Uh, in many ways, that was part of a trend where you know, we were trying to export best practices from the military, whether that's strategy, leadership, operations, and apply them in a new environment to achieve breakthrough results. And so having, you know, having, having articulated those thoughts, having been forced to articulate those thoughts in a book um, actually then made it that much more likely, if you will, that we could actually, we, we could apply them with success in actual companies in new situations. What, what I, what I appreciate about this, and again, call me out if I'm misinterpreting this, but um, I, I feel like often when I talk to younger veterans or veterans who are earlier in their career, there is almost like the pressure to figure out where things are going. And, and as I'm like in hearing your story as an outsider, it's like, well, you had an experience in the Marine Corps that you couldn't really even articulate the business application until a decade later. And you choose to write this book, not with any sort of end in mind, but one of the byproducts is you start to connect the dots. And so as I'm looking at it, it's almost like you're taking one step at a time and over time that starts to lead to a path, but it wasn't with this visionary forethought of like, I'm going to write this book and then do this turnaround work and then go do this. It was just kind of taking the next best step, learning and reevaluating. And that's what ultimately led to where you're at today. Yeah. And I think that's, it's an adaptive approach. If you want to like, you know, in engineering terms, there's adaptive and predictive. Predictive means, oh, I've got to figure out what I want to do 20 years from now and start working towards it. Adaptive is, hmm, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to move forward with reckless abandon and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll check and adjust and, and reorient and, and keep moving forward always ad ad adapting to my new situation or, or adjusting my approach to adapt to my new situation. So you're exactly right in, in how you characterize it. And, and, and that's kind of at the core of, you know, at the time, Marine Corps maneuver warfare strategy, uh, it's at the core of that philosophy. And, and, you know, in talks, in discussions with submariners over the years, I think you all operate in a very similar way. That's great. One other thing I wanted to, to circle back to, you had said that you, in retrospect, you took on too much career risk. And, and I'm curious to hear more about that. And I'm guessing it relates to your thought of you're taking on these extremely risky turnaround works that might be outside of your skill set or the company might not do well. But but I'd, I'd really like to hear more about how you view that and also your advice to people about how to assess what is the right level of risk versus, versus too much. Yeah. So you're exactly right. When I say too much risk, I think it's on two dimensions. Number one, what if one of these situations had failed, you know, that could have been a pretty severe setback. 
now you could you could say that ignorance is bliss and 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 that's and not knowing what you're getting yourself into is is um is is in some ways you know contributing to your ultimate success because you're not worried about it and and, and you're confident you're you're betting on yourself you're confident in yourself and you and you know you'll find a way and the second thing would obviously be career transitions right so i i always aggressively sought out the next big challenge and i wasn't afraid to move to different companies now you know, there's an argument that says if you stay in a company and you, you're in a high performance program or, or, or what have you, you're, you're designated a high performer, um, you know, you may be able to rise up through the ranks faster. Uh, and, you know, every time you change companies, there's always going to be that that period where you've got to learn a new a new group of folks, a new way of doing things, reestablish trust and credibility. And, and along the way, you know, you, you could step into the wrong situation. Um, but, you know, I think... It, we, it is as simple as just laying out <laughs> risks versus rewards. And, and when you see the, you know, when you see the balance or, or the, where risk, uh, where, where reward exceeds risk, um, you know, there's, there's opportunity there for you. As you, one thing I'm wondering with, um, especially when you were in a specific company in more of a turnaround situation, part of where my mind goes is that you and the people you're working with, you can influence the outcome to a large extent, but not entirely, right? There's always things out of our control, but, but it seems as if, if the venture or the push that you're doing is successful, you now develop this halo effect. But if it were to fail, if, if it were to be deemed as a failure, you and your coworkers, like you have that failure associated with you. And I might be overstating this, but I'm just wondering, like, is that part of the risk that like you become identified with the success of a project where you might not have all the levers to control to make it a success? Right. Yes, absolutely. And one of the biggest levers would be the executive support of the CEO or the president or whomever. So, you know, that's one of the things that you... I guess there's there's two ways to think about managing the risk of failure in these types of situations. Uh, again, number one, six, you know, uh, pattern recognition, successful repetitions, allow you know, arms you with the questions you need to ask going in, um, and and sometimes it's it's almost an upfront negotiation with whoever the sponsor is of the business uh, that that either I, I took over or I was you know then going to go work for. So clearly setting those expectations, saying, look, this is what I need from you uh, to be successful. And here's what I can deliver for you in return. Um, in many cases, uh, the executive is, is, it needs help and needs someone, the, the, exec, the, 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 the sponsor, uh, president, CEO, uh, will obviously have the industry depth and domain expertise, but they may not have specialized expertise required to pull off whatever organic growth or profitability or customer experience initiatives need to be undertaken. So that's where, you know, you're not just going in as an order taker, but you're actually going in with someone who has something to offer and who can therefore then, you know, uh, request certain concessions to ensure success. Uh, the other thing is, uh, the, you know, we take this for granted in the military, but everything we do, every, large-scale transformation program I've managed or coached down to every little shop floor improvement initiative we've done, we always lay out the top five things that are going to cause us to fail and mitigating actions, right? And this is, again, this is the point earlier about this is second nature in the military. You are always thinking about contingencies, risks, contingency planning, and mitigating actions. And so by doing that, you are dramatically increasing the probability that your initiative will be successful. There's a lot, for some reason in business, a lot of people uh, avoid or eschew um, the risks to a, a given initiative or a given business plan that exists, and they don't kind of tackle them head on or at least try to proactively solve for them. And as a result, you know, they, they have, you know, quote unquote, midstream surprises or there's a failure, you know, further on down. And so that's something that I think I've done very you know, meticulously over the years and is probably a, a key success factor in, in, in minimizing the risk of the downside of a failed effort. 
I, you know, two things that just stand out to me is so broadly applicable for our listeners, regardless of their career path. I, I really appreciate that phrase you use, the concessions to ensure success. And I think that that's, I think that there's part of my military background that feels like, give me a mission and I'll, I'll break through walls to make a success, which is, it's an honestly a very naive perspective versus the more adult perspective of, okay, this is the desired outcome. What do I need? What support do I need to make sure that I can deliver on this? And I can imagine that mindset for someone just negotiating a job of like, okay, for me to enjoy working here, what do I need? Let's be honest. What's the pay? What's the work-life balance? What's the location? Just really being honest about what concessions they need to be to ensure success. But I, I also really like that second point around the, the top five things that will fail and, and really approaching the risks head on. And I can think of right now, even in my own startup, how hesitant I am to be very honest around, okay, what are the top five things that put us out of business? What are the top five things that will cause us to not be a going concern? And it's it's so embarrassing to admit that right now, because it seems when you said that, it seems so common sense to do that, but it's something that I rarely do. And I think that anyone listening, regardless of your career path, that's such a great exercise to think about for your project, your role, your team, your company, what are the biggest risks and how can you proactively get in front of those? Yeah. Um, and, and this harkens me back to 1997 when Marine Colonel Leonard Supko uh, shared with us kind of his top, uh, top, you know, 10 things that I know. He had been a uh, enlisted sniper in Vietnam, then rose to be the uh, the regimental commander of the 12th Marines. And um, one of my favorite ones was, "Bad news is not like a fine wine; it does not get better with time." And that's really shaped my outlook <laughs> ever since. Um, the other one I love from him was, "You all are not special; your Marines are special." That's another one that's really shaped my outlook. You know, what what 23 years later, however long it's 24 years later, however long it's been. Um, and so that's the point is that risk is around us always, right? It certainly, it was in the military. It certainly is in business. It is in our daily lives. And so if you're, if you're, the risks will manifest themselves. The question is, is how much time do you have to prepare for them or to solve for them? And so if you can get over that, that feeling of chagrin, which is, which is a human, uh, viable human emotion, if you can get over that. And just look at it as these are problems I got to I got to solve uh, problems challenges I got to overcome to be successful, and the sooner I identify them, and the sooner I you know acknowledge them, and the sooner I take action to to preempt them, the more time I've got to actually ensure a successful outcome. What about I'm sure that I'm sure that there are listeners who are extremely energized around the type of work you're describing. And I am imagining for many people, it appeals to variety in their work. It appeals to, I don't want to say like the adrenaline side, but there is some component of that, of like taking on a project where you've got to like reorient a ship or, or move it around. Um, could you maybe just spell out a few things that people may love around a career path in the turnaround world and also things that they might really dislike or, or hate about this. Yeah. So, you know, turnarounds or, you know, growth, right. Uh, we're, we're looking for a dramatic change in the status quo to drive outsized results. And um, you know, it, it, it places a premium on a lot of the skills, a lot of the, a lot of the skills we, we, we developed in the military, a lot of the reasons we joined the military it places a premium on adaptability. And, um, and if you're a challenge seeker, it, it's definitely more exhilarating, if you will, than, um, than a, a normal, you know, managerial job, you know, and, and, and there's certainly something to be said for uh, someone who can, you know, sustain performance, you know, or, you know, improve, uh, hone an already high performing business. Um, so, you know, look, this, this is, this is really, if, if, if you enjoy the challenge, if you're comfortable with uncertainty, uh, if you're comfortable with, you know, new environments and, and new stakeholders, you know, it, it, it can be an exciting job. You, 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 there's, there's maybe more of a sense of tangible accomplishment 
when you're able to, you know, rally a group of people and be able to, like you said before, uh, rally a group of people to accomplish something that they thought maybe wasn't possible in a time frame they weren't comfortable with. Um, the downside would be there's a lot of, uh, you know, just like the military, I, I like to think that I selectively remember the 10% of it that was great. And, and I selectively blot out the 90% the of, you know, routine drudgery and, and unpleasant things that we at times had to do. So it's, it's by, I, I try to caution people, it's by no means glamorous, right? If anything, it's, 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 it's better to build a business right from the start. But, you know, there, there's always an opportunity to improve a business and its operations. Um, you, it, it takes patience. Um, it takes uh, a, a high degree of, 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 of empathy in the sense that you've got to influence people to get things done. Um, if you're at, you know, even, even as the president of Stanley Healthcare, I had to influence people to get things done, right? Um, kind of like the old saying, you know, if you order a Marine to do something, he or she will do exactly what you ordered them to do and nothing more. Mm. Whereas if you can explain to them why it, it's worth doing and why it's in their interest, they're, they're likely to, to exceed your expectations. Even same thing in business, um, you have got to, uh, you've got to understand people's motivations and you've got to, you know, get things done with them uh, versus, you know, telling them what to do. So it does, it does require a good deal of patience. Uh, there's a lot of drudgery, a lot of heavy lifting. I spend the vast majority of my time on stakeholder management. And then what's left of that in uh, dotting I's, crossing T's and ensuring every little detail has been completed so that results that we, we anticipated were gonna happen when we, when we began whatever improvement effort uh, we have, we've undertaken are actually delivered. So it, it's not as glamorous as it sounds. There's a whole lot of, of drudgery and heavy lifting that goes along with you know, an, a, a, an aggressive uh, organic growth story or a, or a, a turnaround situation. That's great. Um, I wanna ask about resources that you would recommend uh, for business in general or for your specific career path. That could be podcast, books, programs, anything like that. But I also want to specifically bookmark um, to make more space for you to share about the book that you wrote with Vincent, because I think that would be re very relevant to our audience. Yeah, yeah, happy to do that. So in terms of transformation, you know, related materials, uh, look, there's going to be countless business books that have been written since. Um, I'm not so sure. Yeah, you certainly you could pick those up. I don't have one in particular that 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 I would I would recommend. If if folks are interested in you know what I've been describing here, I would encourage them to look at. Um, the, the discipline of Lean Six Sigma, right? Um, so th this is a, a, an operations management philosophy built on the Toyota production system going back 70 years. And it's all around uh, maximizing customer value with a minimum expenditure of resources, you know, by eliminating waste and inefficiency. And so that was, for me personally, that was the missing piece, right? Uh, it was a perfect complement and, and many of you all who have been in the military since I got out in 1998 um, may have been exposed to Lean Six Sigma because there was a big deployment that went on in the government and in the, in the military branches over the last several years. So many, many of your viewers may have actually heard of this or applied it in the military, but uh, the discipline of Lean Six Sigma, this rigorous root cause problem solving, uh, you know, process, process improvement, detailed project management, statistical analysis and tools, I would, I would highly recommend, you know, you get exposure to that. Uh, there, there's any number of books out there. The Lean Enterprise Institute is probably the best source for all things lean, if you're interested there. And then in recent years, my eyes have been opened uh, to the power of data science, uh, specifically advanced analytics using uh, statistical, uh, statistical methods and Python coding language to mine large amounts of data, draw inference from it, and then create vi uh, intuitive visualizations. So that's one thing we've been doing the last several years is marrying these disciplines of Lean Six Sigma and data science to, to give us newfound visibility into opportunities for improvement. Uh, business schools uh, offer data science as coursework. Uh, some schools such as, you know, like, like an MIT actually offer master's degrees or undergraduate degrees in data science. I know, I know a lot of the leading business schools like Wharton offer analytic, data analytics as, as a major now. So 
I would encourage people to get, you know, get if they're interested in transformation or even in just you know, rounding out their skill set in business, I'd, I'd say those are two disciplines that if you haven't gotten exposure to, would be worth uh, getting involved with. And I'll, for listeners at beyondtheuniform.org, I'll have in the show notes for this episode, um, all of those resources listed. Um, I want to just leave the last question open-ended, which is we've covered a lot of ground. You've answered a lot of questions I did ask. I'm sure there's things that I didn't ask that you know would be relevant to a military and veteran audience. Um, anything that we didn't want to cover that you want to make sure listeners know before we wrap up? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, I salute you for what you're doing, Justin. Beyond the Uniform is a great movement. And there's a lot of, of, of efforts you know, bubbling up like yours organically. I mentioned at the, at the outset that I spent a fair amount of time with veterans, nonprofit organizations, spent a lot of personal time uh, trying to help vets, as we all do, uh, you know, make that successful transition out of the military and into their, into their civilian careers. And so I think the power of the network is something I want to emphasize here, which is, you know, we, we, we need to work together. Uh, we need to start to connect the dots, as you so eloquently put earlier, uh, between some of these initiatives. And what I've seen most powerful as of late is, you know, veterans helping veterans, not on a one-off basis, but as a network, right? I may not have an immediate fit for someone, but uh, I may know somebody who does. Or, you know, we, we're starting to build out communities on LinkedIn. Uh, again, I mentioned refervets.org. There's another uh, veterans not-for-profit uh, hiring organization I've been working with called fourblock.org. And so the more that we can kind of connect these various initiatives and create that network, um, and, and that's between people, that could be structured data feeds between communities or websites, we're going to increase the probability that vets will be able to match up with, you know, their next career endeavor. And, and you make a lot of great connections along the way. Um, you know, people with similar mindset, people with similar outlooks, and shared experiences. Uh, you know, Vincent Martino and I actually did not serve together on, on, on active duty. We met in business school and we've been, you know, best of friends ever since. And so that's just a, another good example of, of the power of our network and especially in increasing the probability of, of, of the successful fit for the veteran whom we're trying to help. Well, this is great, Jason. I appreciate the advice you shared with the Beyond the Uniform audience today, as well as just the work that you're doing in your, in your book, in your mentorship, in, in your hiring, all that you're doing to help the military community. So thank you for all of that. No, thank you, Justin. It's a, it's a privilege to be a part of Beyond the Uniform. And like I said before, hats off to you for everything you're doing. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our chief of staff, Steve Bain, our editor, Lex Brown, and our head of social media, Janelle Han. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for-purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career in life.